Here we are, the last day at the Eau Claire Children's Theater. Um, this has been a great place for us. I'm so grateful for God, to God, for his provision. And uh, it's just got to be a real normal thing. It's been about nine years, I think. It's about the same time we bought the bus outside that uh, I got a text this morning, and I'll give you the details next week. I got a text this morning that we've driven 10,000 miles between here and the offices in the last nine years. It, we don't take it any further than that, but it's, it's made it. Um, so today we're going to be uh, in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Uh, we're going to be talking about a picture of the wise dad. Um, not the wise guy, but the wise dad. Many of you remember uh, Mike Holmgren, who had a pretty successful coaching career at Green Bay from 1992 to 1998. Now, there was a time if you just said that, everybody knew who you were talking about, but kind of depends on your age whether you know who Mike Holmgren is. In a time span that from 1992 to 1998, he had 75 wins. You do your math. And he lost 37 times. And he won the Super Bowl uh, Super Bowl 31. It was a pretty successful career. Uh, Holmgren once reflected on a difficult time in his life when he was drafted as a quarterback in 1970 by the St. Louis Cardinals, and then he went uh, to the New York Jets. And in 1970, he was supposed to be the backup quarterback to Joe Namath. I know some of you don't know who that is. Um, but he's still doing commercials. <laughs> but sadly, um, Holmgren was cut from the New York Jets, and he never played a game in the NFL. It was devastating for the young quarterback. That was his dream. That was his life. And he said this, I committed to my life to Jesus Christ when I was 11 years old. But in my pursuit to make a name for myself in playing football, I left God next to my dust-covered Bible. But after getting cut from the Jets, I, I pulled out my Bible and found comfort in a verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And then he said, I asked Jesus Christ to take control of my life once again. Getting cut from the New York Jets led Mike Holmgren into an entirely new phase of life. It led him into coaching. And so he became a high school football coach. And then he became a college football coach. And then he became an assistant coach of the San Francisco 49ers. And then he became a coach of the Green Bay Packers. And then he became coach of the Seattle Seahawks and general manager. Then he became president of the Cleveland Browns. And here's what he said about his priorities. His priorities were faith, family, and football in that order. Our passage today is a reminder about our faith and our priorities. We're going to look at Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. There are six principles here, six principles of wisdom. Remember, wisdom is the art of skillful living. Six principles for us, but especially today, I want to talk to the dads. And what I'm talking about today applies to every person in this room, but dads, I'm talking to you first. Um, first principle I want us to see in verses 1 and 2 is men take advice from a godly father. Uh, this is a, a reminder of what a, a godly father is and what a godly father does, okay? 
In verse 1, uh, we see the source. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1. The writer of Proverbs says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart. So just be reminded, the book of Proverbs is a collection of wise sayings. These are general principles. Now, where sometimes Christians get confused is understanding the purpose of wisdom literature. These were not intended to be absolute promises, but principles that in life are going to be generally true. There can be exceptions. It's not the same as prophecy. It's not the same as a promise. It's a general principle. So, my son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart. The book of Proverbs was a training manual for parents to teach their kids. In verse 1, we have a father calling out his son to keep his commands. But what was his source? What was the source of the commands? Was this just, you know, dad's best guess? No, it was the word of God. That's what this father was calling his son out to, is to remember what Scripture teaches. Remember what we have taught you in our home. Um, and, you know, just as we begin this, you know, dads, our kids really can't get this if we don't live it. They have to see it to be able to understand it. Now, there are a lot of you here, uh, like me, who didn't really learn this at home. I had to learn it as an adult, and I had to learn it from other uh, men in my life who, who became my mentors. And that's a great thing about the body of Christ, the church, because we are a family. And there are a lot of men in the body of Christ, in the church family, that can be a mentor for you who, who, who have gone further than you in your walk uh, in the Christian life. In verse 2, we see the benefits. And so if we don't forget God's teaching and if we keep his command, there are some benefits. They will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Uh, Proverbs are um, couplets often, like in this case. It's two verses in a couplet that have one main idea. Keeping God's commands comes with benefits, a longer life without facing some of the foolish pitfalls. It will bring a peace, a shalom. And that's just not, you know, the removal of problems. It's about a wellness, a well-being in life, the ability to thrive, shalom. Um, it, it includes a, a sense of, um, of contentment and, and prosperity. But this prosperity isn't about getting rich. It's a sense of thriving. Um, and it's not the so-called prosperity gospel. It's not about increasing your wealth and getting rich. It's about God enabling you to thrive in your life. There's a reminder, the Apostle Paul gives us a reminder in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 2 and 3. Uh, so this he gives to the church, and uh, he's quoting uh, Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5 uh, from uh, the Ten Commandments. And he says, honor your father. So kids, this is for you. Honor your father and mother. Treat them with respect. Treat them with honor. When they give you instructions, pay attention. And then it's our time to obey our parents um, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy a long life on earth. Um, the way we treat our parents reflects on our relationship with God. And kids, you are to honor your mom and your dad. And of course, we don't really outgrow that. Sometimes we can have parents that don't seem to really be deserving. 
We're not required to obey if our parents are morally wrong. And this gets a lot more difficult with adults when, when adult kids have adult parents, but you can still honor them. You can still treat them with dignity. You can still say kind words. It doesn't always have to be negative. Um, and kids, when, when we whine and complain, we dishonor God. Um, and just a reminder, parents aren't perfect, are they? Your parents, any, no, there's nobody's parents in this room that were perfect, except maybe Tina's were close. I don't know. Uh, and if you don't know, Tina's my daughter. Uh, um, but God gave your parents to you be, to love you and to protect you and to provide for you and uh, they love you even though um, you disagree with them. That, that's why uh, one of the reasons God gave you parents is, so what happens when you disagree? Well, you, you get to learn with, with parents uh, what, what that can mean. So that's the first principle. Second principle, embrace a lifestyle of love and faithfulness, dads, verses 3 and 4. We see these character traits in verse 3. Um, so these are, dads, these are for us. These are things that we are to live out. We are, and then we're to not only just live it out, but we are then to pass it on, to teach it to our kids. Verse three, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Love refers to the kind of love that God has for you. It's kind of similar to what we see in the New Testament. Uh, unconditional love, we call it, a, it, the Greek word is agape, agape love. And here, the, it's a Hebrew concept, chesed, and it's, lo, it's about a, a loyal love. It's about love that comes from God. It, it's enabled by God. It's empowered by God. Um, and then uh, he, he talks about faithfulness. It's about being faithful to God, faithful to his word. And it's, it's about being, it's out, having a character like God, love and faithfulness. God is loving to his people, and he is faithful to his promises, to his covenant. He's a covenant God, and we are to be faithful men and women. That's how our kids are going to learn it, by watching us. Um, and then uh, the writer of Proverbs says, bind them, love and faithfulness, bind them around your neck, write them on the tablets of your heart. Like valuable jewelry, display them in your life. Bind them around your neck. Not just, you know, like a, a little necklace that you, you clip on. It, it's bind it, make it so much a part of you. It's there just as a permanent thing. Write them on the tablet of your heart. It's like, you know, writing in those days, it was a stylus that they had to use. If they, if they wrote in wax, they would cut the wax. But if they wrote in the stone, it, it took a little more effort. But they used a stylus, a metal sharp object to cut. And that's what he's talking about here. That God's word should be cut into our heart. It should mark our lives. It should have an imprint. It should have an impact. Uh, it, it, it should have made a difference. It should, it should change us. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablets of your heart. And then we see the benefits in verse 4. Then you will win favor and good name in the sight of God and of man. The benefits make it worth it. You will find favor with God. That's grace. Guys, we need God's grace. We're saved by grace. God gives us his favor. We don't deserve to be saved from the penalty of sin. But after we're saved, we need grace every day. We need grace to, to make decisions, to, to get through difficulties, to know what to do, to know how to lead in our homes. We need God's favor on our lives. And um, we, need, we need grace with people. It's awesome when people extend us grace. It's really hard when they don't. And 
uh, how we live impacts the way people treat us. And um, we can win favor with people and, and acceptance or recognition. Uh, people notice a genuine Christ follower and they are attracted to a genuine Christ follower. And uh, so you will find favor and a good name. A good name, a good reputation with God and with people. If you were to stop and think about what's your reputation like? How would God describe your reputation? What would it be like from his perspective? How does he see it? And then I'd ask the question, what is your reputation with the people around you? Man, what's your reputation with your wife? What's your reputation with your kids? What's your reputation with your employer, your coworkers, your neighbors? Do you have a good reputation with them because of how you live? Third, third principle, entrust your life fully into God's hands. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. This may be the very best known passage in the book of Proverbs. Um, the issue we have comes in verse 5. The issue is, who is leading your life right now? Who's in charge? And here's what the writer tells us. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. When it comes to priorities, the writer of Proverbs would say, this is number one. We are to put our trust. We are to put our confidence. We are to put our faith with all of our hearts, with our total being. We would call it full devotion to our Lord. We are to trust our lives fully into God's hands. That was what Mike Holmgren recognized after he had faced a major failure because he got along just fine for quite a while, and then he realized things were way out of kilter in his life, and he needed to get back to a center, back into what it means to follow Christ one day at a time. And we are not to, in all your ways, lean not on your own understanding. We're not to trust our own viewpoint as the final authority. Um, we're not to lean, not to trust, not to um, expect that our viewpoint is the final authority, the final say. Um, and, and the great thing is, you are created in the, in the image of God, and God gave you a mind. He gave you the ability to reason, the ability to think, the ability to make choices, and that's awesome. But... There's a place for that, and that's under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's under the authority of our Lord, and so he gets the final say. And so we, we run our, our, the facts of our lives and our decisions through a grid. Is it, does it filter through what, what Scripture teaches? Does it ring true? Is it a wise choice? And I, and I bring this information into a decision-making process. Sometimes my best ideas don't fly because they, God has a different viewpoint. Sometimes I need to be reminded of that. Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 55 and verses 8 and 9, he says, um, my thoughts, this is God speaking, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Oh man, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And sometimes it's just good to think that through. God has a different perspective. He doesn't see things the way we see them in our world. And he sees them at a much greater perspective than 30,000 feet. He is all-knowing. He is all-wise. He knows the future. He knows us. And um, he knows what we need to do. 
and what we need to know when we, when we make our decisions. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 11.33, he says, Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths, paths beyond the tracing out. God is way bigger. He's dealing with a way more information than we are. And uh, sometimes he may say no to us. Sometimes he may say stop to us because he knows what's ahead and we don't. Sometimes we just need to right the ship and rearrange our priorities. Proverbs 28, 26 says, those who trust in themselves are fools. Guys, sometimes we make decisions that really don't fit with the wisdom of God, and we are fools. It's true. Sometimes we do silly or stupid things when we, when we really evaluate. But those who walk in wisdom are kept safe. I like what D.L. Moody once said. D.L. Moody was a great evangelist of the 19th century. Some of you know his story. Some of you it may be kind of new to. He's the founder of Moody uh, Bible Church and Moody uh, Bible Institute, now Moody Bible College. And he said this, It's easier for me to have faith in the Bible than to have faith in D.L. Moody because D.L. Moody has fooled me lots of times, said D.L. Moody. We can fool ourselves sometimes. Um, the temptation, don't be fooled by how smart you are. That's a good way to say it. The benefits in verse 6, um, Proverbs says, in all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. When we submit to God's leadership in our lives, he makes our paths straight. That is, he will remove some of the obstacles in life along the way. And he's, he will give us, if he doesn't remove the obstacle, he'll give us what we need to tra traverse the course. He will help us cross the finish line. He will give us what is needed. Fourth principle comes in verses 7 and 8. It's very simple. Walk humbly with your God. Pretty straightforward. There's a decision in verse 7, and it can be a hard one. Verse 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. What is the decision? Well, the decision is, will we fear the Lord and follow the Lord or will we choose maybe the immediate which seems like a good thing or seems like fun or seems like something that I might enjoy or will I be able to shun if it's evil will I be able to turn away will I, will I make a good choice when I face serious temptation and how we approach temptation um, has a lot to do with how prepared we are when we walk into it where our hearts are what we're trusting in how we're connected with God um, where, where God's word what place it has in our lives so what is our decision what will we do are we going to have reverence for God? I think this is just the hardest part, is to shun evil, to turn away from it. And we, we, we can get into temptation and say, well, we're not going to go that route, but we can hang around and dabble with it a little bit, which is not a good choice at all. We can rationalize that everything's going to be okay if I do such and such. So do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. And then we see the benefits of walking humbly with your God in verse 8. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. So the writer of Hebrews, again, 
um, gives this idea that there's a correlation between our physical well-being and our spiritual well-being. Walking humbly with God and turning away from evil brings uh, health and nourishment to our physical life, our emotional life, our spiritual life. There have been many studies through the years, and I've used probably nearly every one of them uh, over some time, many studies about how prayer affects our physical life, how prayer affects the outcome of medical conditions, how prayer affects the outcome of uh, surgery. God answers prayer, and people who live by faith, uh, I've, some doctors have said it's almost miraculous, the difference between people who live by faith and those who do not. Gratitude is another one, and this is uh, one of those things that came really loud and clear through uh, Scott's story, was this attitude of gratitude, and gratitude affects so many things. It it affects our, our stress level, our ability to face the future. It affects our health. It affects marriages. Church attendance is one of those things. Scripture says, don't forsake the assembling together of yourselves. There's some health about gathering. It, it, has a, it impacts our lives. It encourages us. It builds us up. It helps us be connected. Those who are committed in marriage, this is, these are, you know, it used to be, well, that's nice that people are committed to marriage, but today marriage is held in, you know, between a man and a woman. For life is held in such low esteem. It's like one of the small options out there today. But there's tons of proof about a commitment of a husband and wife in marriage about, you know, surviving uh, heart attacks or avoiding heart problems or uh, dealing with anxiety and stress, uh, um, overcoming cancer, recovering from major surgery, or just plain out living the rest of the population. Fifth principle, learn to set aside money for God first. Dads, this is for, this is for you. When it comes to your money, your income, learn to set aside a portion to honor God first thing before anything else. Uh, it's an act of love, it's an act of commitment, and it requires faith. You know, it sort of goes against what, you know, we think, well, I've got to watch out for myself. I've got to take care of myself first. The commitment, verse 9, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. So in the Old Testament period, people didn't get paychecks. Um, Mostly their life was about farming, the huge percentage of population. There were some merchants that were able to just trade. Um, But people needed food to eat, and so they often had to grow it. Um, They needed food for their animals because they often had uh, livestock. Some had very large, uh, very large amount of livestock, but most families had some livestock. And they just couldn't go to the grocery store, the feed store, or the pet store. Uh, they grew their crops of grain and, f- and fruit and vegetables, and they cared for vineyards and fruit trees. And they also managed their livestock. Um, what they grew, what they raised, had the same value as cash does to us. They could sell their crops, and they typically bartered their crops or their livestock so that they could gain some other kind of produce or food. The instructions here are to honor the Lord with our wealth, the first fruits of of all our crops. This meant that God's people gave the first portion of their income, whatever it was, they set it aside for God. They saw that he was given a rightful portion first. Then they took care of their own expenses. That was an act of faith. They had to trust 
that God will provide what they need. And that was hard for some people, just like it is today. It was easy for some people because it's, can you really trust God? Do you think he will take care of you if you give to him first? It's so easy for people to look at their bills and hope that there's a little left at the end of their checkbook, at the end of their pay period, that they could give to God. But one of the most practical ways this has worked for me, and we've been doing this for a long time, but I'm really old school. Every paycheck, I write out my bills for that pay period. I can't cover all my monthly bills in one pay period. I write the ones that I know I can cover. At the top, I put my giving. I know what I'm going to give no matter what. Always, this has been way more important than my mortgage or if I've had a car payment or any expense. I never let anything else be more important. And so I have to just write it at the top of my list. And then I'm old school. I still record in my checkbook. I, I track with, with Quicken software, but I still write it in my checkbook and I still write my giving first, whether it's coming out automatically or whether it's um, a check that I have to write, I write it first before the bills come out in that pay period. That's just one way it's worked for me. Um, I want to challenge you to do that. This is godly wisdom. Honor the Lord first. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament uh, writes to us, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8, and he says, remember this, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. So there it is, that agrarian economy. He's using a metaphor about sowing and reaping. It's about planting, putting into the ground by faith. That's what they did in their farming. And then waiting for the harvest. And, and, and he says, whoever sows sparingly. He's talking about giving because that's the entire subject of 2 Corinthians 8 and 2 Corinthians 9. And you'll see it in the very next verse. Whoever sows or gives sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously, if you give generously, expect God to bring a harvest of generosity to you. The other side is if we are stingy with God, we should expect God to be stingy with us. That seem fair? That's what Paul is saying. Uh, and then he says, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. And sometimes I just think it's good to be reminded to every one of us here, this is for all of us, each one of us should give. So if you're married, you can decide this with your, with your mate. And parents, this is something we teach our kids. How will they learn? How will they see it if they don't see it modeled? If they don't know mom and dad talk about this? And if, and if mom and dad don't encourage them to find ways to participate and give? Each one should give what they've decided in their heart. It's a decision. I think a lot of times Christians just put it off. They just ignore it. And, and sometimes I hear people say, well, I don't have enough money to give. That's not true. If you got any money, it doesn't have to be. I mean, so if you get $10 a week, can you go a dollar? Could you go 50 cents? Um, it's part of trusting God with your life and being faithful. So each one should give what he's decided in your heart. Next slide. Not reluctantly. So God, God isn't trying to guilt you. He's not looking for you to, okay, he, he needs your payment now. God doesn't need our money. He wants our hearts. And our money has a whole lot to do with our hearts. I know it. It's true of me. And for God loves a cheerful giver. That's what God wants. He wants people who just give to him cheerfully because they want, want to. They, they do it because they love him. Um, and God is able to bless you abundantly. Not so that you're going to get rich. That's not what the purpose is. God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, don't worry, you will have what you need. 
all that you need, you will abound in every good work. God wants us to be able to abound in doing things for him. And uh, that suggests to me that if I give, he might supply more so I can continue to give even more. Um, so this is an issue of faith. It's an issue, can we trust him? Um, it's about trusting God with our heart. It's about trusting God with our money. And just a reminder, parents, we need to teach this to our kids. The benefits in verse 10, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with the new wine. Um, by the way, new wine here is grape juice. There's plenty of wine in the Bible with alcohol. This means grape juice, just in case you needed to know that. God's promises are more than enough. He promises generous provision. Your barns will be filled and to overflowing. You'll have plenty. Your, your, your vats will brim. Um, if you're generous with God, God will be generous with you. If you're stingy with God, he expects him to be stingy with you. The Apostle Paul uh, has these instructions for us in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 through 19. If you remember this, uh, this was one of our memory verses, or actually three verses that we memorized back in the Grow Forward, uh, our growth groups. Verse 17, uh, Paul writes, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to keep their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now, the American church is rich. We as American Christians are rich when we are compared to the rest of the world. This is for us, for sure. And um, the great reminder is we have a tendency, maybe you don't think we're arrogant, but it, it, we get the idea that what we do and what we make is about us and our abilities and our skills, and we kind of forget where that God is the one who enables us and provides for us. And the danger for us is to put our hope in what we produce and we take our eyes off of putting our hope in God. And he's the one who richly provides us. Look at that. He provides us for our enjoyment. He's, he's glad for us to enjoy what he provides. He's not against the good life or having nice things. We just need to remember what our hope is and where things come from. Um, so uh, let's go to the last principle, number six. Last principle for dads. Dads embrace difficult times as God's specialized training. This is so crucial. Where does our family learn how to handle difficulty? They should learn it from us. Um, do you embrace difficult times? Do you see the big picture? Do you just complain when things are hard? What is it that you teach your family? What do they see when you go through hard times? So if we just complain, there's plenty of things to complain about. It's probably not real helpful for them. They can learn to do that. But how do they navigate this? Verse 11, the instruction. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Do not resent his rebuke. Here the, the writer of Hebrews or uh, Proverbs views discipline as, um, a, a, views difficult things as the Lord's discipline. God knows what's going on in our lives whatever our circumstances are. And this is not punishment. Don't, we ought not be confused about that. This is discipline. Um, it may include correction if we need it. Sometimes it's necessary. God, just like um, I would say, Mike Holmgren would be able to look back and say, you know, when I got cut from the jets, God got my attention. It was really hard, but I needed a wake-up call, and I got it. The word for discipline refers to child training. 
things that children need to learn to be able to mature. Kids need to learn responsibility. Parents, I know you think that's kind of important. It's like picking up their toys or cleaning their room or helping with the yard, um, helping with dishes. And there are different responsibilities for different ages. And uh, there may be consequences that go with not following through on responsibilities. They need to learn growing up that there's a place for no, for mom and dad to say no. And they they don't always understand the reasons behind it. But mom and dad have a good reason for why they have to say no sometimes. Kids can't always have what they want. This is child training. And, you know, for kids, this isn't always enjoyable, is it? Sometimes it's pretty uncomfortable when mom and dad say no. It just seems like they say no all the time. Because if they only knew how good this would be if they'd let me do this. And yet parents see things differently than, than their kids do. God trains his kids as well because we need to learn how to navigate, how to make decisions, how to handle responsibility, and how to live through times that are, can be painful. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7, the second part, and verse 8. The Apostle Paul says, rather, train yourselves to be godly. Um, I've loved this after I learned, after I got, got, got the focus on train yourself. Okay, this is a responsibility for you. This is not me training you or someone else. It's you training yourself. And it's going to end up about self-leadership. Can you lead yourself? Can you train yourself? Um, I learned a whole lot about discipline in sports. Not because it made me feel good, it's because if I wanted to play on a team, I needed to do what the coach said. And sometimes it was practice, 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 over, over, and over to gain um, skill in certain areas. And sometimes it was really hard, really painful, really tiring because they were developing strength and endurance endurance and speed discipline train yourself and then you learn that you want to you want to keep that you don't want to lose it and so you if if uh, one of your sports is coming like football you you work hard getting ready because you don't want to go to the first day of football practice and die right there in front of the coach and your your team you want to be ready you want to be at least a good way on your way Toward the training. And so uh, Paul writes, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Fathers, we need to train ourselves spiritually for our own growth. Men, what do you do to train yourself? to grow spiritually, to become more like Christ. What do you do with God's word? How do you find time in your busy schedule to put God's word in as a priority so it's becoming yours? You are listening to God. You are processing things with God. How do you find time personally for prayer? Jesus modeled for us getting alone with his father. Men, how do we do that? That's on us. Um, How do we find time to be with other believers, other men? Whether it's a growth group or um, or whether it's connecting on, on Sunday morning or serving together. There needs to be training that we embrace to help us um, in our own lives and also if we want our kids to do these things we have to model them at home We, we have to live them out verse 12 the benefits because the lord disciplines those he loves as the father the son he delights in so maybe we should view difficulty in life differently Is it just pain 
or is there a higher purpose to difficult circumstances? Difficulty could be viewed as God's development plan. Sometimes we don't want to have anything to do with it because it just seems too hard. God trains those he loves. I'll tell you what, I guarantee you, whether you embrace it or not, you're going to go through hard times. It isn't like God said, okay, now I'm going to make this happen bad because I want to see how they respond. You're going to go through it whether you do it with God or without God. God trains those he loves, just like parents. The reason that we have values in our home and principles in our home and rules in our home is because we love our kids and we know that in the long run, this is what they need if, if, if uh, they're going to thrive in life. Now, kids don't always understand their parents' rules. They don't always appreciate what their parents have to say. They don't appreciate when parents say no. You know, and Christians don't always appreciate what God has to say either. They don't like a no sometimes. God has a higher purpose. Verse 7 says, endure hardship as discipline. We're going to go through hard things. Endure it as discipline. See what God is doing. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their fathers. Well, those who aren't loved or those who have an absent father. If you're not disciplined, everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it mostly. How much more should we submit to the Father in spirits and live? That's the solution right there. Submit to the Father of spirits. Submit to our God to submit to the Lord Jesus Christ and live, to live the way God wants us to live. Last, last section, uh, Hebrews 12, 10, and 11. They disciplined us, our fathers, for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines for our good. Do you believe that? Can you trust him that God is taking you through difficult times and it's going to be for your good? Um, why? in order that we may share in his holiness. God is forming something good as we go through difficult times. It doesn't take, necessarily make pain go away. We can, we can lose family, friends. We can lose a lot of things, and it's painful. And everything I know about Scripture says, yeah, that's, that's what happens in this life. Until, until we get to heaven... There is going to be death. There is going to be tears. Verse 10, no discipline seems pleasant at the time. Ask your kids. But painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. It's easy to, uh, to agree with. No discipline seems pleasant. But what is God up to? God wants to produce righteousness. Um, he wants to refine our character. He wants to display his character in us. Ernie Harwell was a famous uh, broadcaster for Major League Baseball. I won't ask you to raise your hand if you know who he is. Uh, he covered the Brooklyn Dodgers from 1948 to 1949. He, he covered the New York Giants from 1950 to 53. He co covered the Baltimore Orioles from 1954 to 1959. He covered the Detroit Tigers from 1960 to 1991, 31 years. But in 1991, something went wrong. And the Detroit Tigers got new owners and they decided that they no longer needed Ernie Harwell because he was just too old school. And they fired him. This seemed like a tragic ending for a great broadcaster, one of the best loved in the history of baseball. The real test for him was how would he respond? He did not criticize or badmouth his former employer. 
As a committed follower of Jesus Christ, he accepted his circumstances as God's will for his life, and he forgave his employer. On the final day of the 1991 season, he said to his fans, quote, God has blessed me for 31 years. I had the greatest job in the world, a job that I love to do, but most of all, I appreciate you fans. I appreciate your loyalty and your support and the love you've shown me, especially the love. Later, he was asked about being fired, and he said, I refuse to allow myself to become bitter, he said, according to Romans 8:28, God causes the circumstances of our lives to work together for good. I had assurance that he was in control and that I could trust him. The very next year, Harwell joined the broadcast team of the Los Angeles Angels in 1992, and he did very well there. He missed the Detroit fans, and they missed him. And it was such a big deal. And his fans in Detroit were so adamant that for the 1993 season, the Detroit Tigers had to bring him back as their featured broadcaster. And he continued in Detroit until 2002, nine more years until he retired at the age of 84. Harwell described his career this way. He said, even though I love baseball, I loved my Lord Jesus Christ much more. Ernie Harwell knew what it was to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ above all else, in all his ways to acknowledge him. And he could trust that the Lord would direct his path. Let's stand for prayer. Gracious God, we just give you thanks today that you are an all-wise and all-loving and all-knowing God. God, we recognize that you've given us principles uh, to live, to navigate through life, whoever we are or whatever age we are. I do thank you for the dads in this room, and I pray, God, that you will uh, empower them, um, encourage them, enable them to live for you. If they need to reevaluate or regroup, that you will guide their steps, show them how. If they need to connect with other men um, for support, I pray, God, that you will show them how to do that. Help them in leading their families. I pray that you would protect their minds and their hearts from the evil one. Enable them to love their wives. Enable them to love their kids, to train them up, to be faithful to you, to acknowledge you, to learn not to lean on our own understanding. Help us to navigate difficult situations. Help us to be reminded of the big picture that you are at work and you're going to work good and we just need to hang in there and walk with you and to trust you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.